From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Across the country, rents are going up. But it's not because the value of properties has risen. In fact, values are largely going down. Instead, it has to do with the mortgage repayments of landlords and the fact there's not enough supply of rental properties at the moment. What it means is that rental stress in Australia is at crisis point, with mental health and homelessness services raising the alarm. Today, senior reporter for the Saturday paper, Rick Morton, on what's happening to our rents. It's Wednesday, September 14. Rick, if you're renting your home at the moment, you've probably started to notice that the cost of doing that is going up. So what are we looking at here? How much are rents going up by and and why are they going up? Oh, mine's just gone up $15 a week in Sydney. Um, And, you know, I I think we need to go back to mortgage repayments here. They're going up because we all know, I think, now that the RBA has been lifting interest rates uh, since May. And to counter that, landlords across the country, and there are a lot of landlords across the country, are passing those rises directly onto the renters and the tenants in their properties. So according to CoreLogic, rents are about 9% higher across the capital cities um, and they're up, you know, uh, 11% in regional areas compared with June last year. So if you're paying $300 a week, you could be seeing your rent rise almost $30 and we've seen extreme cases that have been worse than that Um, or even cases where landlords have been trying to kick out entire blocks of units to turn them into Airbnbs, right? Um, to recoup costs. And this could all get a lot worse soon because rates are going to keep going up for the time being, at least for the foreseeable future. And interestingly, at the same time that all of this is happening, the Productivity Commission has just finished looking uh, into the situation renters and public housing tenants and the homeless are facing with housing uh, in Australia, particularly this review they've just finished of the National Housing and Homelessness Agreement. And one submission to this review struck me as being really important in the way that it described the situation facing so many renters at this moment, and it was made by a homelessness support service in in Adelaide. Okay, so tell me about what this submission said, what this homeless support service in in Adelaide has to say about the, the situation facing people at the moment. Yeah, so they were really blunt, and they said, in view of the large increase in the cost of housing in the last year, even more people are having to resign themselves to a life of renting And to compound their problems, rental vacancies have decreased while rent has gone up, resulting sometimes in bidding wars between people desperate to secure somewhere to live. They went on to say people who have otherwise been able to live a reasonable working class life until recently are now having to live in their vans and cars. And we've seen this right across the country, especially after natural disasters. Now, the context of this submission is that we're seeing record lows in vacancies of rental properties. So it's harder and harder for renters, particularly those at the lower income end, uh, to find a place to live if their landlord does jack up the price. And of course, that does affect those people at the bottom of the market. It increases competition among the people with the least capacity to compete. And this homelessness service in Adelaide had a pretty worrying warning about, you know, what all of this means. And they said eventually this vicious spiral will lead to social unrest. Mm. Okay, so what's happening then is the cost of renting is actually becoming prohibitive. People can't afford housing, so they're increasingly having to do things like like live in their cars. And it sounds like this service is is worried not only about these people but about the broader implications of this, of of the anger or the the unrest that could flow on from this situation. It's a it's a pretty stark warning, isn't it? 
Yeah, it is a stark warning, and you don't usually see language like this in submissions to Productivity Commission reports, even if people are being blunt about you know the effects of social or economic policy. This is serious stuff because we've let serious things happen for a really long time in this country, and that's exactly what this homelessness service in Adelaide is pointing out. In fact, when this service is actually talking about all of these problems and the squeeze being put on renters, they're alluding to several intersecting crises in Australia. We've got the pandemic that has seen a lot of people realise that you can actually work from home if you're in a professional job. And so they've moved to regions where, you know, life is a bit better. New figures have revealed the increasing popularity of regional Australia, with more people than ever choosing to move there or stay there. The Australian Bureau of Statistics says a net 43,000 people traded capital cities for the regions last year. Property prices relative to the capital cities are cheaper. But of course, that's displacing a lot of people, particularly single parent families in regional areas who have been previously able to afford to live there, who are increasingly seeing that they cannot. Lockdown weary Melbourne lost 26,000 people in net terms, the largest drop on record. The floods in northern New South Wales, um, which have literally wiped out thousands of homes in Lismore. Tomorrow marks six months since a wall of water flooded Lismore in the dark of night. Most residents are still recovering from the trauma and many are still without a home. Community advocates say homelessness here has been a problem long before the floods. A lack of affordable housing, as well as the lack of public housing, has meant this has been a problem for several years. The floods have only made it worse. Because of climate change, we've got other homes, in fact, you know, about 100,000, I think, across northern Australia that are uninsurable or people cannot afford to get insurance for them, which, again, putting up prices. We are homeless. We were homeless for three months until I finally managed to convince someone to give me a chance. And I was paying a ridiculous rate of rent that left me you know, on the, on the poverty line because it was so high. And now I just can't see a way forward. So we've got these kind of intersecting crises that all serve to put limits on or kind of contort the housing market so it's this bulbous, hideous thing that serves only the most wealthy. We'll be back in a moment. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read POST, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points. Sign up today at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. Rick, we've been talking about the housing market and how it's become something that really only serves the most wealthy, but... What about those on the other end of the spectrum, the ones who have the least money? What are the consequences to being locked out of the housing market? Yeah, I mean, people talk about public policy or social policy, but it's social means people, essentially. It's like it always comes back to how this affects people. And it's really important, I think, sometimes to remind people who aren't in these situations what actually happens. And housing stress is just, it's so fundamental 
um, because of the way our system has been built up uh, to people's mental well-being. And, and on Tuesday last week, actually, Suicide Prevention Australia released a report about the major drivers of elevated stress, um, that is beyond normal stress levels in the past year. Now, 40% of people in that survey, there was 1,000 nationally representative weighted respondents, 40% said that the cost of living and personal debt is the single biggest factor in their elevated stress levels. Now, when asked what would be the biggest contributing risk to increased suicide levels over the next year, they were resolute. They said housing affordability and cost of living debt um, have substantially increased as a risk factor since 2021, last year, um, and they are now the, the two of the top three um, suicide risk factors in this report. In fact, Anthony Albanese, the Prime Minister, was at the launch of that report last week at Parliament House, and he was grilled a bit on whether the government was doing enough to solve these problems. Right. Okay. And so what did he say then? What did Anthony Albanese say when he was asked about this report? And, and does it seem to you like he or, or the government that he leads is is taking these issues seriously? He certainly said some of the right things. And there are some things that this government is doing that are welcome changes. And, you know, he pointed to some existing policy or some existing commitments like Labor's submission to raise the minimum wage. Uh, which was agreed to by the Fair Work Commission back in May. That's like more than 5%, which is an enormous increase. He also pointed to the fact, um, and these are his words, that's why we ensured that pension increases and increases for those in social security have occurred this month. We understand the pressures that people are under and we wanted to undertake measures that alleviate cost of living pressures. Now, that really annoyed me because he wasn't being honest on the matter of social security payments. Pensions and payments um, did rise by their largest jump kind of in three decades, but not because Labor made it happen, not because they changed the payment rates. These are six monthly indexation adjustments. They're legislated. They happen regardless of who is in power, and they have been happening since the Social Security Act was legislated. So Labor did nothing to increase those beyond inflation, and the only reason they're that high is because of inflation, mm -hmm. um, which means the cost of living has gone up. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not going to change the status quo, and they know that. And it's disingenuous to suggest that it will. It's completely disingenuous. And I would argue, you know, if you can't lift those rates, that's one thing. But if you then turn around and pretend that you're doing something about it when you know full well that you're not, that's cruel. Right. And this situation, it isn't something that's happened overnight, is it? It's the result of a decade or more of government policy. And the Albanese government came to power without any plans to change any of that big picture policy, things that would actually make a difference like changing negative gearing or getting rid of, of capital gains. So what is on the table now under the Albanese government and will it be enough? All of this stuff has been affected by the failure to act over decades now, but particularly more recently on negative gearing and capital gains tax and these housing supply levers and demand levers that federal government has. It is almost breathtaking, quite literally, just to go through the list <laughs> because there's been no movement on any of these kind of hugely transformative housing policy changes, such as getting rid of the negative gearing tax breaks or the capital gains tax reform, both of which were options um, that Bill Shorten, when he was opposition leader, took to the 2019 election. Of course, that's why, partly, um, Albanese, Anthony Albanese doesn't want to mention them uh, because they were powerfully rejected by the electorate, apparently. Labor has done some things, they promised some things. So there is this $10 billion Housing Australia Future Fund, which is essentially an investment fund, the returns of which Labor has promised or says that this will fund 30,000 new social and affordable homes in the first five years. Again, a drop in the ocean compared to that, that wait list. In, in fact, the 
Victorian big build, the $5.3 billion, that will cover just 10% of what Victoria needs to cover its gap. But all of these things are kind of the targeted support. They will help some people that they won't change the system in this country of housing. And, and what we have seen categorically is that it is a chain. If you squeeze out homeowners or potential homeowners at the top, they become renters. And renters, when rents go up, become even more squeezed and they move around to find rents that they can afford, which squeeze out low-income people who can't even afford the rents in those areas. Um, And then those people who don't have social housing or emergency housing or anywhere to go become homeless. We have fundamentally failed housing in this country and we're now in a crisis because of it. Rick, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Ruby. Mahler's music embodies the very essence of humanity. Experience his epic Song of the Earth with the Australian Chamber Orchestra, Richard Tognetti and internationally acclaimed opera stars Stuart Skelton and Catherine Carby. Opens May 12. Book now at aco.com.au. Also in the news today, Ben Robert Smith, the controversial former Australian soldier, plans to attend official commemorations for Queen Elizabeth II in London. As a recipient of the Victorian Cross Medal, Australia's highest military honour, Robert Smith was invited to the memorial as a matter of protocol, but he'll attend under a cloud of doubt. Robert Smith is currently awaiting judgement in a high-profile court case in which he claimed several Australian news outlets wrongly portrayed him as a war criminal and murderer. And Uncle Jack Charles, the Indigenous performer and activist, has died aged 79. The survivor of the stolen generations turned trauma into art and is being remembered as a beloved mentor and leader. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.